This morning, we are continuing our series, Lord of All, uh, by looking at Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Um, and in this section, we begin the transition from what is uh, primarily doctrinal or instructional to primarily what we uh, apply from that. And, and this is the, the transition. So last week, um, we looked at certain things that have no power to bring us to holiness. Um, there are certain things that we, we tend to do, but, but they don't actually bring us closer to God. They don't actually bring us closer to holiness. Um, things like asceticism or harsh treatment of the body, um, things that we do on our own strength. And we ended the sermon last week with the right exhortation of looking at Jesus, who is in fact the substance of our faith. Um, not the shadow. And so we pick up from there, the Apostle Paul really just continues that idea of looking at Christ, um, keeping our minds set on him and seeking the things above. So he starts out in verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things that are above. So he's continuing that thought, look at Christ, look at the things um, that matter. This is what we'll see actually gives us the power to um, fight our sin and, and holiness, only the fact that we are with Christ. But I want to start here, um, or so that's the, that's the natural result, or rather the supernatural result of being with Christ is that we will seek the things above. The, the supernatural result of being raised uh, from the dead with Christ is that we will then seek the things above. And so that'll be one of the big um, topics here, are my sermon in a sentence, as John said, is the gospel gives us new perspective. Um, but as we start, I want to do some important work and important explaining. We start in verse 4, if you have been raised with Christ. And this idea of being raised with Christ implies that uh, we're raised from something. Uh, we're in fact raised from the dead. And uh, the beauty of doing a whole series on the book of Colossians, is that, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but Colossians is saturated with the gospel. Over and over, the apostle Paul reminds us of Christ, um, who he is, and what he has done for us. And, and even more than that, Colossians is a book that belongs to the story of the Bible. So the story um, of God redeeming his people, the grand story of scripture, uh, the people who have consistently disregarded him. People who have consistently turned away from him and said, uh, I will make my own rules. I won't follow you. Um, I will love what I choose to love. Things that you have said are, are bad and, and dangerous and that will lead me to death. I will love those. Um, and I will reject you and your authority. I'll reject you and your love for me. Um, we see that at the very beginning in, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve reject God's um, grace. They reject his rule. They re reject his authority and begin to make their own rules by saying, this is good for me to do. This is good for me to eat this fruit. What's really interesting in, in that in this story, um, the grand narrative of Scripture, God is described, um, at least in one part, described as the God who gives life to the dead. The God who calls things into existence that do not exist. And we see that theme of God giving life to the dead over and over and over in Scripture. 
um, and God being life himself. In fact, when he um, introduces himself to Moses, he says, I am that I am, or I exist, and from me life exists. I am life. I am existence. And so God's people, or we, have been running away from that life. If you, if you see in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sin, before God kicks them out of the garden, before God removes them from his presence, Adam and Eve hide from his presence. We have been hiding from God's presence ever since. We have been running away from the author of life. We have been leaving life itself. So a silly um, illustration is if you're cutting down a branch from a tree, and the branch that you're sitting on, you're sitting on the wrong side of where you're cutting. So if the trunk is life, the trunk is over here, and you're over here, and you're cutting right here. Well, what happens when you cut that branch off? You fall, right? This is what we do when we run from God who is our life. When we run from Christ who is our life, we cut off the branch that we are sitting on. We, in fact, cut ourselves off from God. Now, God is also holy um, and then doesn't tolerate and removes um, sin from his presence. But the grand story of Scripture, the grand narrative of Scripture, is largely God giving dead people new life. God redeeming his people calling them back to himself, um, giving new life. This is the offer that is given to all people. God is offering life through his son, right? So John 3, 16, the most, probably the most famous um, Bible is, if you believe in him, then there is eternal life. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him, there is eternal life. The offer of life is given to all. So we all start out uh, rejecting God, and he calls us um, to himself. Jesus is bringing people to himself, and specifically, we see this said over and over in Colossians. In Colossians, it's said like this. He, Jesus, has transferred them from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of God, taken people and moved them from the, the realm of Satan to the realm of his son. He has forgiven sin and canceled the record of debt by nailing it to the cross. He has reconciled people to himself and made peace by the blood of the cross. His people have been made alive together with Christ. So this starts out, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things of God. So that, that supernatural progression. Um, but I want to start with this question of, are you one of his people? Have you been raised with Christ? Have you been moved from the dominion of darkness to the dominion, the kingdom of God? Been reconciled by the blood of his cross? Submitting yourself to the grace and to the love of the Lord? Submitting to Christ as both Savior and King? This is the offer uh, that God is giving. My prayer for you and the prayer of this church is that if you are not alive in Christ, is that you would, that you would consider Jesus, that you would see your sin for what it is as running straight to death, as leading to death and, and eventually leading to eternal death. But more than that, more than I want us to see the wickedness of sin, which is great, 
My prayer is that you would see the glory of the risen Christ. The God that has defeated sin and death and hell. So much so that he can never die again and promises new life to all those who are with him. That's my prayer for you. Um, and, and I know the prayer of this church as well. We want people to experience the life that we have experienced. I want you to experience the life that I know. The life that this church knows. The life that is with Christ. So, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a lover of Jesus, if you have been raised with Christ, then seek the things above. Set your mind on the things above. See, we have been united to Jesus in such a way that we are united to him in his death, and we are united to him in his life. His life is our life, or Galatians 2.20, Paul says it like this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We are united with Jesus in such a way, so closely, that our life no longer belongs to us. Our life belongs to Christ, because he is our life. It is his life that lives in us. Colossians, in, in here in this verse, it says, um, Christ is your life. And we, we can think of this in two different ways, at least two different ways, probably more than that, but uh, we'll consider two different ways this morning. Um, the first is that Jesus is life. In him there isn't, there, there is only life, and without him there is no life. So Christ is our life because Christ is life. Christ is the one that grants life. Christ is the one that sustains life. Apart from Christ, there is only death. We've seen this again all throughout Scripture, and we, we know it to be true that Jesus is life. All things have been created by him and through him and for him. He sustains all things because he is life. So we can say that Christ is our life because in him is life, and he is life. But we can also look at it um, in, in other terms. Because he is our life, we now spend our life for Christ. We now um, pursue him in everything. Or as Paul says in verse 1 and 2, we seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on the things of the earth. If you've been raised with Christ, you have been given new life. If Jesus is your life, then seek the things that matter to him. Seek the things that are above. If Jesus is your life, seek the kingdom of God. So we say with the prayer, God, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The things that we want, the things that we seek, how we live, is for his glory to be shown. See, it changes our perspective completely. Our desires, our drive has been totally changed from seeking the things that, that we want from our will being done to God's will being done. 
It changes from us seeking to build our own kingdom and our own glory to seeking God's kingdom to be done and, and to come here on earth and God's glory to be known and God's glory to be shown. It totally changes how we view the world. Now I want to take a quick note here and, and we see that this is the natural or supernatural progression that if you've been raised with Christ then we seek the things above and we set our minds on the things above. But if you notice the idea of seeking and the idea of setting your mind on is very intentional. It's very purposeful. So silly illustration, right? The game of hide and seek. You ever played hide and seek? Of course you have. Everybody's played hide and seek, right? Hide and seek is really, really boring if the person seeking just doesn't really care, right? If they're just kind of like haphazardly looking for you, it's really, unless you're playing with little kids, that's really all you need to do then. But um, if you play with the youth, right, we play a game called sardines, and it takes a lot of energy, takes a lot of looking and being very careful where you're looking to play the game hide and seek. So I know that this is silly, right? Um, it's, for some of you, it's probably been a long time since you've played the game hide and seek. Um, but it's that idea of intentionally looking for something, intentionally seeking something out, pursuing it. So we pursue Christ intentionally. We seek the things that are above intentionally. Yes, it's the natural progression or supernatural progression, but it doesn't happen without our effort, without our intentionality, without our purpose of doing it. Or to set your mind on something right? So, like, you could think of this in the wrong way and, and think of just, like, setting it on something, like, um, you set your cup on a table and you leave it and you forget about it, um, but we think of it as purposely focusing on something, to set your mind on the things above. Again, that doesn't just happen. It takes intentionality. So, this is, this is something that, that I use uh, with the youth often when we're talking about um, the discipline of reading scripture and the discipline of, of prayer or the spiritual means of grace is that this takes intentionality, right? We don't just like go throughout our day and then suddenly find ourselves reading the Bible. How did that happen, right? I just read four chapters. It doesn't happen. You read scripture because you intentionally open up the Bible and you read what God has to say for you. We seek the things that are above. We set our minds on the things that are above. And this is especially true when there is something else vying for your attention. There is something else competing for your mind, competing for your desires, competing for your pursuit. Now, I don't know about you, but I am a terrible multitasker. Some people are really good multitaskers, and they can do a lot of things at once. They can work on several projects all at once. Um, I can multitask a little bit. Like, I can walk and chew gum. I can do that. I can um, drive and have a conversation. Right? I'm, I'm able to do kind of basic things um, I'm able to carry on a conversation while I'm walking and things like that. But uh, there are some things that I'm really bad at multitasking with. Um, two of those things 
are at home, I am terrible at doing dishes and talking. I can do one or the other. So oftentimes I'm doing dishes and um, either talking to Beth or if we have someone over, and I've realized like I've just had the water running on this plate for like five minutes because I can't multitask. Or the other one that is probably uh, more frustrating for my family is um, cleaning up our children after they're done eating. So they're at the point now where they still make a huge mess and we have to clean them up. And um, if I am home for lunch and I'm talking with Beth and we're having really good conversation, it takes me like 15 minutes to clean them up. Because I can't concentrate on two things that are important to me or two things that require my attention. Well, I think that this is what Paul is at least in a little bit getting at. When he says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. There are some things that you can't multitask with. You can't do two things at once. And and this is one of them. We can't have our minds set on the things above at the same time as we have our minds set on the things of the earth. So Paul is saying, you choose, you intentionally set your mind on the things above, or you will unintentionally set your mind on the things of the earth. Or another um, silly illustration that I heard a long time ago and I, I use often is, if I tell, tell you for the next 30 seconds... Whatever you do, don't think about the number three, right? Well, all of you instantly thought of the number three, and you're like, thanks, if I wasn't supposed to do it, why'd you tell me? Um, But some of you also know there's a trick to do it, right? You can not think about the number three. If you, so for me, I can think very small, so I think about the number four. (laughs) I'll show you, right? I intentionally set my mind on something else. Because if you try to not think about something, oh, I better not think about three. Oh, dang it. Just thought about that, right? So um, to replace thoughts, not just don't think about bad things, right? But intentionally seek the things that are above. Intentionally um, focus and set your mind on the things above. See, Paul knows that when we pursue Christ, When we pursue the things that he is about, when we pursue him and loving him and serving him, we are so consumed with his glory and with his beauty and his majesty and his love that the other things fade away. We can't focus on two things at once. We won't focus on our selfish desires or the things of this world. Now, when Paul is saying not to set your minds on things of the earth. He's not talking about the physical things of the earth, right? He's not, um, he doesn't present this false idea of spiritual things are good and physical things are bad. Um, Instead, so so he's not saying, you know what, don't focus on the things of the earth, so don't worry about work because that's something of this world. Or don't worry about food. Don't think about food because that's something of this earth. Or don't, don't be concerned with your family. Don't be concerned with fun. This is not what Paul is saying. Um, in fact, um, he's not saying that, and, and this is, we get this idea sometimes, like the idea of monks. He's not saying, spend your entire life in quiet meditation on who God is 
in the future. Neglect everything else in this world. Be indifferent to this world. Uh, don't care about the current affairs. This is not what Paul's saying. He's not saying be indifferent. He's not saying that this is a way of escaping reality. Instead, what he is saying is he's, he's saying to reject the way this world functions. And instead, embrace the will of God in the way that God functions. This world is ruled by the enemy. This world is ruled by selfish ambition, by greed, by lust, by the things that we're going to talk about next week, right? The things that we are called to kill in our life. Instead, we are called to embrace loving others as we love ourselves. We are called to embrace working as for the Lord, and not for ourselves. We embrace the glory of, re- of God and we reject puffing ourselves up with pride. We embrace his kingdom and we seek to build it up and we reject building our own kingdom. See, we have our minds set on the things above, not on earthly things. And what this does is it actually leads us to be actively engaged in this world to care about the affairs of our neighbor because we love them as we love ourselves, to work diligently and hard because we work for the Lord, to love our families, to enjoy food, right? Amen. Um, That's one of my favorite things. There are many favorite things about God, but food is delicious. And he made it that way. Um, So C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of those things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that Christians, it's the Christians who did most for the present world, who are just those that thought most of the next. So the Christians who did most for this present world thought the most about the next world. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, they all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. We set our minds on the things above. We seek the things that are above, not on the things of this earth. We reject the way that this world works, and we embrace the way that God has called us to live and the things that he is about. So you see, being with Jesus, being raised with Jesus, it changes your view of life. Your every day, your every hour, your time, your money, your energy. It changes our ambitions. It changes our drive. Instead of seeking ourselves, we seek the others. So the Apostle Paul in Philippians says that his goal is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And he strives for that goal. With everything he is, he presses on to know Christ. 
His goal, his ambition, his drive has been totally changed from what it was without Christ. Now that he is with Christ, so we are the same. When we are with Christ, our goal changes. We orient our lives on this purpose to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Because, why? We have been raised with Jesus. Because he is our life. So a question I have for us, a question that I've been considering this week is, what is your mind set on? What is my mind set on? What do you seek? What goal are you pursuing right now? What are you living for? Is your primary goal in life to be well-liked? Is your primary goal in life to have enough money to always feel safe and secure? Is your primary goal in life to get a good education so that you can know and impact the world? Is your primary goal in life to have a significant other? To raise a family? Now these goals are not bad um, in themselves, but when they are our primary goals, when they are the thing that we seek above all else, when they are the things that you have your mind set on, then we are not seeking the things above. We are seeking the things of the earth. Now, we can pursue those things out of the right method because we want to bring glory to God, because we want to build his kingdom up, because we want to pursue him and love others well. But what is our primary goal? What is your mind set on? I want to encourage you. I want to encourage me to have your primary thing that you seek be the glory of God. When you wake up tomorrow, whatever else you have going on, have your primary goal be to bring glory to God with how you work, with how you eat, with how you talk, with how you interact with your families, with your neighbor. That you would say, along with the prayer, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Seek the things that are above. Anything else, anything short of pursuing God with everything that we are, because we have been raised with him, because he is our life, both in the sense that in him is life and in the sense that we want to spend our life for him, anything short of that is ungrateful. Saying, yeah, you raised me, you're my life, but these other things, they seem pretty important too. I'm going to seek them instead. Right? I want to encourage you, encourage me. Um, seek the things above. So in verse th 3, uh, we see the truth that we are being raised with Christ. We have new life. Uh, but, but we are, in fact, dead to something else. We are now alive to the world of Christ. We are now alive to new spiritual worlds, but we are dead to the world of sin. We are alive to Jesus and we are dead to the enemy. Or as we saw in, in last chapter, in Colossians 
if with, Christ you di- if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world. Right? We have died to this world. We are dead to sin. So in a book that I'm reading with Pastor Sergey, um, Sam Alberry, the author, is remembering a story, uh, a time when he went and spoke at a school that he attended. Um, it's only a couple years later, and he has been invited back to speak there. And so it's at assembly, and the, the headmaster is giving the instructions for the assembly. He's giving all the announcements. Um, and then because it's a school and because kids um, need to be reminded that the headmaster just kind of, in the middle of his announcement, he, he's, and the author says, like, he barks out, sit up straight. And what's interesting is that Sam instinctively sat up straight. Now, he's not a student here anymore. The headmaster isn't his authority anymore. He's there to speak. But he instinctively listened to the voice because it was said with authority and because he was so used to listening to that voice. Right? So he had been under the headmaster. The headmaster had been his authority for so long that when he spoke, he instinctively listened. And then he likens this to our relationship with sin. That we have um, been under the authority of sin for so long, and we have been so used to listening to the voice of sin that we instinctively obey it. When it commands us, we listen. When it entices us, we listen. But we are no longer under its authority. So Sam, in in his illustration, if he wanted to slouch, he could have. Right? Because the headmaster wasn't his authority. Sin is no longer our authority. If we have been raised with Christ, we have been set free from the power of sin. We are dead to sin. We must remember that we are dead to sin. When it speaks to us, when it calls to us, when it commands us, we remember, no, I have died with Christ. I have died to the powers of this world. I have died to sin. And I am alive to a new world, a better world. A world of life. So Paul says it like this in his letter to the Romans. This is found in chapter 3. Verses 3 through 14, which is a good section, um, but I want to take the time to read it because I think it's, it's so important and helpful. Romans 6, um, starting in chapter, or starting in verse 3. So do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by his baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. 
Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let sin, therefore, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Amen. We have been set free from sin. We have died with Christ. So his death to sin, his death and defeat over death, we participate in. And his life, we participate in. We are with Christ. Now, it is only because we are with Christ that we can say no to sin. It is only through that power of being raised with Christ that we can be dead to sin. See, we have died to sin and our life is now hidden with Christ in God. So when that familiar voice calls you, that familiar voice of sin, when it comes commanding you to obey it, we must remind ourselves that we are dead to sin. We are alive to Christ. We are only able to do this when our minds are set on the things above, when we are seeking the things above. If we are actively pursuing Christ, then sin has no power over us. If we have our minds set on earthly things, we will obey the voice of sin. Even if it has no power over us, we're not able to multitask on this one. You can't have your minds set on both things. You can't pursue Christ and obey sin. We must consider ourselves dead to sin. Remind ourselves we are dead to sin. We must remind each other that we are dead to sin. But it doesn't stop there, right? It's not just that we're dead to sin. We are safely hidden with Christ in God. Sin has no power over us. We are secure in Jesus. We are hidden safely with him. And there is nothing that can bring us out of that. There's no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I'll stand. So another question um, that comes to mind as we talk about this is, for me and for you, is there a sin in your life and my life that you are not considering yourself dead to? Is there a sin in your life that you're so used to listening to its voice that you feel like you will never be free from it? You feel powerless against it. Is there a sin in your life that you are willingly submitting yourself to, willingly giving into? Christian, I want to remind you, you are dead to sin and you are alive in Christ. You have been raised with Christ. You are with him. You have new life. You are dead to the old world and you are alive to the things of God. 
You are dead to the old power and alive to the power of God. You are with Christ. There is no sin that has dominion over you. There is no sin that has authority over you if you are with Christ. You have been set free. You have been given the freedom to reject sin and pursue, pursue Christ. So finally, I want to move to our, our last point, our future hope. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, where you have your mind set, what you have your focus on, where you are going determines what you will do. If you have a goal to reach something, if you have a destination that you are aiming for or traveling to, it will depend, it will determine what you do. So again, some silly illustrations. If, if your goal is to have a great paying job so that you can have um, a big retirement, then you will live very differently than someone's goal who would be to travel the world when they're young and have the energy to do it. Right? How you function will be very different. If your goal is to have that great paying job and save up for retirement, you're going to keep your money and you're going to save it for later. But if your goal is to travel the world while you're young, right, you're going to hopefully get a good paying job to allow you to do that, but then you're going to spend that money on your travels. Your goal, what you are pursuing, what you are looking forward to, determines um, what you will do. What we have our hope set on determines how we live. If your hope, if you're, if you're still young and your hope is to, so today's Super Bowl Sunday, right? If your hope is to be a professional football player, um, then you will live in a way that will allow you to pursue that goal, right? It will be very different than if your um, goal in life, your hope in life, is to find a new and renewable fuel source, right? If that's your goal, you want to um, better the world by finding a different fuel source, you're going to spend your life very differently than the person whose hope is to be in the NFL, right? So while the person in the N hoping to be in the NFL, they are going to train their bodies to the maximum, right? They are going to work out all the time. They are going to play as much football as they can. Um, that's going to be their drive. That's going to be their goal. They're going to watch all the football to learn all the plays. They're going to um, find the best coaches and the best scouts. They're going to do everything they can so that they can reach that hope. Well, if your hope is to find a new fuel source, right, you're going to spend your time doing research. You're going to spend your time um, looking at the way that the world works, the way that things are propelled. Um, I really don't know anything about fuel, so um, you'll, do, you'll do whatever it takes to do that, right? What your eyes are set on will determine how you live. So here, Paul gives us, right, what our, our eyes are set on. Set your mind on the things above. Seek the things above. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 
Christ is coming back. We seek with everything that we are to obtain the resurrection from the dead. Our goal is to be with Christ when he appears in glory. We get to appear with him in glory. One of the best things about being with Christ now is that means we get to be with Jesus later. He is coming back, and when he comes back, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And then our lives will no longer be hidden with Christ. They will be with Christ. He is our life still, but they will no longer be hidden. It will be plain for everything to see, everyone to see. We will appear with him in his glory. The world will know that we follow, that we love, that our life is bound up and tied into Christ's life. On display for the universe to see. Amen. Amen. We will no longer have to struggle to seek the things above. We will no longer have to fight sin. It will be defeated once and for all. We look forward to Jesus in his full glory and his full power ruling. We will no longer have to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We will no longer have to pray, your kingdom come. God's kingdom will be here fully. God's will will be being done here on earth as it is in heaven. He will come back. He will appear. He will make all things new and all things perfect. Or as John, John sees it like this in his vision in Revelation 21, 1 through 5. And, and notice as, we, as I read this, notice um, the connections here are so strong that we are with God. And God is with his people. Revelations 21, 1 through 5. You've probably heard it before. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. We will be completely and fully with God. This is our hope. We have our minds set on this, and this will determine how we live. So next week, We'll, we'll move from the transition and we'll look at the practical outworkings of this truth. 
We'll look at the things that we are called to kill, the sin that we are called to kill, and we will look at the holiness that we are called to put on, the Christ-likeness that we are called to put on. But it's so important that we get this order right, that we don't start with um, verses 5 through 17, right? That we start with verses 1 through 3. If we have been raised with Christ, then we set our things on the things above. We are dead to sin. We are dead to this world because we are alive in Christ. Our future hope of appearing with Christ in glory and seeing his glory to the full will lead us to live differently in this life. You see, we have a new perspective because of the gospel. We have a new perspective because we have been raised with light, raised with Christ. Not a slightly different perspective. A totally new perspective. We seek completely different things because we have a new life. Not a slightly better life than you had before. There is no life apart from him. Being with Christ changes the way we do absolutely everything. From eating to helping others, from rest to work, being with Christ changes everything. We have a new perspective because we are with Christ. So as we transition to communion, I want us to remember that by taking communion, by coming to the Lord's table, we are in fact communing with God. This is a way of worshiping a way of remembering his death on our behalf, a way of declaring his goodness to each other and to ourselves. And by remembering that he died and we are with Christ, we also eagerly await his return. Our future hope of Jesus coming back, we declare this by taking communion. Because Jesus didn't stay dead. He was raised to new life. And he was seated at the right hand of God, the highest place of honor and power, the highest position of glory. And we too will be raised with him. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So as we come and take communion, we will just come forward. Um, You can take communion up here, or if you want more time, you may take it back to your seat and meditate. If you're in the balconies, um, just go, come forward as you are. There are tables set up up there. If you are unable to come forward, we'll have an elder bring communion to you because we think it is so important um, for you to participate in this. Um, Just raise your hand and and an elder will, will come to you. If you are not in Christ, If you have not been raised with him, then don't take communion. Don't participate in this part of it. Instead, take Christ. My prayer for you is that you would repent from your sin. You would turn from your sin and you would turn towards the living God. The God who is life. The God who offers life. The God who offers eternal life. That you would turn to him and love him. Let's pray.
God, we thank you that you are a God that gives life to the dead. That you have been doing that since death was introduced, since people rebelled against you. You have been giving life to the dead. Lord, we thank you for Jesus who defeated death. Who he died on behalf of his people, those that love you. But he did not stay dead. Or that he was raised to life and then we can be united with him in his death and in his life. Jesus, I pray that as we come, we would remember your life. We would remember your death. We would remember your resurrection. I pray that you would give us a new perspective. When we leave here, that we would seek your kingdom. We would seek your glory and your will. Lord, when we wake up tomorrow and all the distractions of life and work and school come, that we would start the day by remembering that we are with you, that you are with us, and that whatever else we do, we seek the things that you are about. We seek to bring you glory in how we work and how we eat, how we play, how we read and learn. Lord, I thank you that you have loved us, each of us. And I pray that if there are those here that don't know you, you would open their eyes. You would give them new life. You would bring them into your kingdom, into your life. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he was given, given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Let us take.